Well, John chapter 14, we'll be there just for a moment. You can turn there. We were there this morning. Uh, We've been in John chapter 14 for a while, but we're going to go back just for a moment to start here tonight. And we talked quite a bit about obedience last Sunday as we looked at the passage here in John 14, verses 18 through 24. And we took a closer look at verse 21 last Sunday evening. And I want to look at verse 21 again just just to get us started off in the direction that I want to go. God's Word is good, it is necessary, it is helpful for us to teach us uh, what we need and and what we need for obedience to Him. And uh, here's what verse 21 says in John chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We talked last Sunday evening about what that was, about uh, that little phrase right at the end of verse 21, that Jesus would manifest himself to those who love him. And... uh, just a powerful truth here, just a simple, let me just simplify all, all of what I talked about last Sunday evening by saying that simply Jesus will make himself known to us in our hearts by his spirit as we take steps to obey him and honor him with our obedience and, and, and align our lives with the truth of his word and, and conform our thinking to his thinking and learn, learn what God's word says and, and live that out. Uh, God reveals himself to us. We saw that uh, more of that this morning as we looked at the text this morning. And uh, powerful truths there that, that God gives us wonderful gifts beginning in as we, as we trust in Christ by giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and then uses the Holy Spirit with the Word as we yield to the Word and seek to obey the Word. God reveals the truth to us and helps us understand it better than we could ever before you, you might want to know God's Word, but if you rebel against God and do your own thing and read the Word at the same time, you're not going to understand it as well as you did if you walk in obedience to the Word because God promises to help with the Holy Spirit uh, in the lives of those who humble themselves before Him and, and take steps to obey God's Word. Really what we're talking about is the fact that, uh, look at verse 21 again, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You have my commandments and you keep them, you're showing me that you love me, says Jesus. The love of Christ constrains us or controls us, says 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ constrains us or controls us. It, It helps us live in a way that pleases the Lord. The love of Christ for us as we as we show our gratitude to God and then go to his word and seek to obey it, the love of Christ constrains us. The battle with sin is not primarily about not ruining your life, not, not getting so caught up in sin that you ruin your life. Um, it's not about that, actually. It's the love of Christ that constrains us, um, the love of Christ for us and our love for our Savior also, that constrains us. What God calls us to is obedience. The other side of obedience is 
the opposite of, of obedience is disobedience, and, and to go goes along with that is sin. Sinfulness in the life of a believer is disobedience. Of course, we don't want to to ruin our lives, but, but the battle with sin is not primarily about whether or not we ruin our lives. Uh, we don't obey simply to not ruin our lives. We ought to want to obey because we love our Savior and we want to honor God. We ought to want to obey not to keep from getting in trouble, you know, like, like the youngster who's, who's uh, afraid of mom and dad or the wrath that's going to come if he, he or she does something disobedient and the punishment that's been promised. They might fear the punishment. But what the parent ultimately wants is obedience because the child loves the parent and, and realizes that mom knows best or dad knows best. I'm going to obey. So the battle for us, when it comes to obedience, is fighting sin and not fighting it so that we don't ruin our lives, but fighting it, fighting sin, so that we love Jesus, so that we love Christ, so that we're obedient to Christ because we love him. The battle with sin is not about not disappointing the people in your life. Um, Sometimes we can be led to believe that if, and we will, if we sin, we'll disappoint people in our lives. I can think of a lot of people that I would disappoint if I got caught up in sin, and you can too. But the battle with sin is not about not disappointing the people in your life, and it's not about escaping God's judgment, even though you do. In Christ, escape God's judgment. That's wonderful. It's about whether you love Jesus more than anything else. So the battle with sin is about whether you love Jesus more than anything else, you name it. Is is there anything else that's coming before your relationship with Christ and your love for Jesus? God wants you to be victorious in this life. He wants you to know victory in the battle with sin as you battle to obey the Lord and show your love for Jesus, and God promises to help you. We can praise God for that. That that whole message this morning in John's Gospel that God gives the best gifts ever by way of the Holy Spirit's work in us, those gifts that are ours, those are wonderful gifts. And God promises to help you with the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and with His Word as you yield to it. And that's why the passage here in John 14 about Jesus sending the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to indwell believers is so encouraging. Jesus gives a new heart and he gives the Helper. So he gives a new heart when we trust in him and he gives the Helper, making it possible to now not sin. To now honor Christ. To now show our love for Christ by our obedience. But, as I said this morning, God also calls you to action. He calls you to take action. Wonderful gift, the Holy Spirit. Wonderful work the Lord does in our hearts, revealing truth to us, giving understanding, reminding us of the truth when we humble ourselves before God's Word and get it into our hearts and minds. And that is a wonderful and powerful work, and that is a larger work than we can do. But we are responsible, and God calls us to take action. He wants you to grow in your love for Jesus, that you would uh, respond to sin like, think of someone like Joseph, who 
when Potiphar's wife enticed him to lie with her? Do you remember what he said to her in Genesis 39 and verse 9? We hear Joseph say to her, and this is the attitude that God wants us to, to have and cultivate, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How could I sin against God? That's the attitude God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to have this attitude like, if I sin, I'll ruin my life. Well, that may be true. If I sin, I'll hurt the people around me. Well, that's true. If I sin, I'll displease God. That's true. (laughs) But how? How could I sin and do this against God? How could I sin and do this against the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me? God wants you to so grow in your love for Jesus that you look at temptation and say, how can I do this sinfulness before God as he sees what I'm doing? Look at temptation and sin and say, how can I do this sinful, uh, this sinful act against God? How can I do this act of rebellious wickedness and sinfulness against the Lord Jesus Christ who has given his life to save me from this sin? So what does God expect of you? Well, he wants you to take sin seriously, and his word helps you do that. You can't properly think about obedience to God as a demonstration of your love for Jesus without taking sin seriously. The Bible says this in Romans thirteen, fourteen: But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So God tells you to put on Christ. You do, uh, you do that when you seek to live like Jesus. It's like putting on Jesus' clothing <laughs> to, to live like Jesus, to be obedient to God's Word. You do that when you seek to live like Jesus and live like He would live. And you cannot live like Jesus would live if you keep putting the flesh first. Jesus did not do that. He did not put the flesh first. And the flesh here is more than just uh, what jumps to mind when we think of flesh sometimes is lust. It's more than sinful sensuality. The flesh here is really anything that you put before obedience to God's Word. Because those things are more important to you than loving Jesus. Anything you put first before obedience to Jesus, that's, that's the flesh. So how can you deal seriously with sin? How can you make no provision for the flesh? I want to point you to the rich resources that we have in the Bible for taking sin seriously and for dealing with sin. And the first thing you need to realize about sin is that God wants you to hate it. God wants you to hate it. Godly people hate sin. And I want you to note here, be careful with that statement. Here's what I mean. Godly people hate sin. I want you to note here that what I mean is not about only hating the sin of other people or only hating the sin that's so apparent in the world because it's easy to hate that. It's good to be troubled by the sin of the world around you. Yes, Acts 17, 16 tells us that when Paul saw that the city of Athens was full of idols, you remember what, he, what it says about him? It says his spirit was provoked within him. He was troubled. He couldn't stand the sin that he saw all around him. 
So yes, you should be troubled with the sins that you see going on all around you. You should be repulsed by the sin in the world in which you live. But godly people also are repulsed by their own sin. People that want to live like Jesus, people that want to live like he lived, hate the sin in their own lives, can't stand being tempted, don't, don't want to be tempted, don't want to entertain any opportunity to be tempted. They're repulsed by sin, like what we hear in Proverbs 26, 11, which says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I, I don't remember the occasion, but I remember seeing it as a youngster with, I know we had a dog as a youngster for a time, and seeing that, I don't know, why, why is that dog eating grass? You guys know where I'm going, right? The dog's eating grass. What in the world is, why is that dog eating grass? Stop doing it. There's dog food over there. The dog's eating grass. Shortly after that, you know what happens? The dog gets sick. Shortly after that, you know what happens? The dog goes back and eats what it just threw up. It's like, what in the world is going on with that? And, and we go, ooh, that's gross. That's, that's gross. Why would a dog do that? I wouldn't do that. And yet, if we make provision for the flesh, that's what we're doing. People who love Jesus don't want to live like unbelievers. They're repulsed by sin, but they're especially repulsed by sin in their own lives. The unbeliever doesn't love, the unbeliever doesn't love Jesus, but the believer loves Jesus so much he wants to please the Lord The unbeliever doesn't care about living like Jesus, doesn't have a hatred for sin in their own life. They're like the one who's spoken of in Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. Listen to Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. People who love Jesus have a desire for rejecting evil. If you're a lover of Jesus, you are troubled by your own sinfulness. Like we hear in Psalm 38 and verse 18, and I'm going to read this from the New American Standard Bible where it reads like this, For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. I confess my iniquity. My sin troubles me. So when it comes to taking your sin seriously, you need to ask yourself if you truly hate your sin. Do you hate your sin? If you love Jesus, you cannot love sin. Psalm 97 and verse 10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Hate evil. That's primarily about hating the the evil that would show up in your own lives. Yes, hate the evil that's around you and be grieved by the, the evil that's around you. Be, uh, be troubled when evil shows up in your own heart. 
Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Listen to that again. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So a hatred for sin in your own life is one evidence of your fear of the Lord and your love for Jesus. And yes, sin is uh, sin in our nation should grieve us, and it grieves me, and I and I trust it grieves you. And you gather with us on Wednesday nights when we pray. We we often pray about our, the world we live in and the nation that we live in, and and those who who lead us as our leaders politically and and uh, in our government. And we grieve over some of the things that our that, that our uh, government does, and we see in our culture that we live in. Yes, sin in our nation should grieve us, but people who love Jesus also take their own sin seriously and are grieved by and repulsed by and hate their own sin. Hatred of sin is often the only way of deliverance when people have betrayed God and strayed from God. Listen to Amos 5.15. Hate evil... And love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. A hatred of sin is often the only way of deliverance when people have strayed from God. And in Romans 12.9 says from the New American Standard Bible again, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, or hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Reject the evil, the sinfulness in your life, and cling to the good, cling to God, cling to the Lord, cling to His Word. There is danger in not abhorring evil. There is danger in not hating sin in your own life. There is danger in leaving room for sin in your life. Not hating your sin is almost like proclaiming that, well, if I, um, if I said, I'm not going to eat cookies or ice cream for a week. Now, there's nothing wrong with cookies and ice cream in moderation, right? But if I said, I'm not going to eat cookies or ice cream for a week, but on the way home, I stop and I buy some. I'm not eating them this week. I'm putting them in the cupboard and I'm putting the ice cream in the freezer. I'm going to even put the ice cream down in the freezer in the basement because I'm not going to eat it this week. I'm going to eat it next week. Leaving room for sin in your life is kind of like that. Who's going to make it through the week? Not me. I'm going to eat those cookies and ice cream that week, not the week after. Again, nothing wrong with good old ice cream and cookies in moderation, but not hating your sin is like that, getting as close to temptation as you get and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I can be close, I won't sin, I won't sin, and then you sin. Harboring some sin in your heart is like that. Leaving room in your life for some sin which you refuse to turn from is like putting the temptation to sin within easy reach. Not taking steps to guard your heart 
against the sin that so easily entangles you is a dangerous way to live. So Proverbs 28.13, Proverbs 28.13 gives a warning and then a promise. Listen to the warning and the promise. Whoever conceals his, his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You know, we have a merciful God, a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Praise God. Mercy is ours when we hate sin in our own lives. Proverbs 19.27 says, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Keeping some secret sin in your life, refusing to get rid of that in your life, is like, Ceasing to hear instruction. And you will stray from the words of knowledge if you cease to hear instruction. If you, if you allow there to be some sin in your life that you refuse to deal with according to God's word. So take sin in your life seriously. Hate your sin. Abhor your sin. And to that end, I want to point you to eight ways to hate sin, to not love sin, to to not be entertained by sin in your own life, but to instead love what is good. It's, it's a lot easier to look around you and be troubled by the sin in the world, but you need to look within, and this is the work that believers should always be doing, looking within with the Word to guard our hearts. And I want to give you eight ways to hate sin in your own life. So we've been talking about obedience If you're going to obey God, if you're going to show your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to deal with sin because sin in your life is disobedience. So hate your sin, and here are eight eight ways to hate sin. And these are not original with me. I've gleaned these from teaching from uh, my brother Ken, who's a pastor in Jackson, Michigan, and, and he was doing some teaching, and I listened to his teaching on this, and and I thought these were powerful, and I wanted to share them with you, and I thought they went well with, with the series that we've been working our way through here in, in John chapter 14. So I share them with you, and I have his permission to share his teaching with you. So here are these eight things that will help you grow in your hatred of sin in your own life. Here's number one. Choose mentors who hate sin. If you want to learn to hate sin yourself... Be certain that the people who are influencing you also hate sin in their own lives. They don't just say they hate sin, but you see they're doing work with the sin in their own, their own lives to, to rid their lives of rebellion against God. People who are helping shape your thinking, help, your, help shape your behavior, you, you want to make sure those are godly people who hate sin in their own lives. Uh, people like Job. Job 1, 1 in the Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who, here it is, feared God and turned away from evil. Now we all know that that did not spare Job trials and tribulations, deep heartache, right? But he pleased the Lord. He honored God with his life. He was a man who feared the Lord. It's okay to have relationships, of course, with unbelievers. We need to be in the world so that we can share the gospel with people who need Christ. We're not to be of the world. We're not to be influenced by the world. We're to be influencing the world with the gospel. 
So it's okay to have relationships with unbelievers and with people who need to grow in their faith in Jesus, maybe people who are not maybe helping you grow toward Christ, but you're going to try to help them grow toward Christ by encouraging them with the Word. But those who influence you and those you allow to to guide you and teach you and those people you read and listen to, people you want to be like, make sure those people love Jesus and hate sin. Choose mentors who hate sin. Here's number two. To increase your hatred of sin in your own life, consider what sin has done to others in the past. Think carefully about what sin has done to others in in the past. Consider the consequences that other people have faced because they have not hated sin in their own lives. Um, You could think of someone like Samson, a biblical example. And how he sinned against God and the consequences that that followed his life around. Consider even David, the the scriptures say, was a man after God's own heart. And yet he sinned grievously against God. And how he sinned, think of the consequences of his choices to sin. There are obviously others, many others. So to increase your hatred for sin in your own life, consider what sin has done to others in the past and be warned. Here's number three. Review the bondage and the guilt and the pain of your own past sin. You might say, well, wait a minute. I've been forgiven that. Yes, you have. And I am not suggesting here that you let Satan convince you that you will never be able to obey the Lord. Because Satan would love for you to think that and try to defeat you in that area, to think that you can never be done with some sin in your life that you're dealing with. But if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you can praise God for that, and you're given a new heart, and you're given a helper. So now you can say no to sin. You can deal death blows to sin. But don't fail to learn the lesson of your own failure to obey in the past. Paul did this. When you read the writings of Paul in the New Testament, whenever he refers to his own sin, he never talks about his own sin without pointing to the grace of God. And we praise God for the grace of God, but he also refers to the bondage, the guilt, the shame, the pain, the remorse that he has over his past sins. The next time you're tempted to sin again, remember how that went for you last time. Review the bondage and the guilt and the pain of your own past sin. Number four, consider the harm your sin will do to others you love. Consider the harm your sin will do to others in your life. You cannot sin without hurting yourself, and you cannot sin without affecting those people that you love, those people dearest to you and around you. If there's some sin you tolerate in moderation, it's likely the people that you are influencing will practice that sin in excess. And your sin will cause harm. It comes with consequences. And you could carry the scars of your sin for the rest of your life, but not only you. Think of the love you have for the people around you and the people who are dearest to you. Think of your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Consider the harm you bring to them with your sin, even your hidden sin, will harm you and will harm others. 
I think this begins by learning, as Romans 12.9 says, to abhor what is evil, as we've talked already. Learning to hate the sin in our own lives. It's for your own good and for the good of those people around you who are closest to you and, and dearest to you that you learn to hate sin in your own life. Here's number five. Imagine what could happen in the future. Imagine what your sin will cost you down the road. It's been said that, and this is a good thing to remember, maybe you've heard this before, I think I've said it before, that sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Imagine what could happen in the future. Sin is deadly. And for those who are in Christ, you know that you are kept by Christ, but sin is spiritually deadening. So imagine the damage your sin will do and imagine what could happen in the future and the consequences you may have to live with maybe for the rest of your life because you did not abhor or hate sin in your own life. Number six, Grieve over what sin is doing to others around you. Grieve over what sin is doing to others around you. You can see this grief over sin, over the sin of the people, when you read a passage like Exodus 32, where Moses was grieved by the sin of the people. Remember, he comes down off the mount and he has the tablets that God has inscribed. Exodus 32.19 says, And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. You know, it's not wrong to be grieved by the sin that's around you in the world that you live in. You don't have to look far to see sin in our country. That should grieve you. That should trouble you. Let that be a lesson to you of what sin can do and how far sin can lead you if you don't deal with it and hate it in your own life. You should not make an excuse for sin in your own life. You may even recognize sin in your own home, in your own family, in the people that you love the most. And it is not good to excuse those things and look the other way and ignore them but grieve over what sin is doing to others around you. It will help you learn to hate your own sin and deal seriously with your sin. Number seven, remember that all sin has a, uh, we could call it a time-released judgment built into it. All sin has a time-released judgment built into it. You may not always see that damage that, that sin is doing to your life, You may not always see what damage sin has done to others. You might not see it immediately. You might see it later, and it might be catastrophic, but you will see it in the end. We know that ultimately the consequences of sin is death, and those who do what, uh, do, do what the flesh leads them to do, those who refuse to trust in Christ and not believe in Jesus, will in the end face death, and and they will face eternal separation from God and his love and his goodness. Romans 6.23 here says, for the wages of sin is death. We know that ultimately that's what sin leads to, but even for believers there are consequences 
in, in the end, even if you do not see them right away, sin is like a slow poison. Sin is like a time bomb. Sin is like carbon monoxide poisoning. Think of that. Isn't that tragic when someone, and you see it in the news sometimes, who, you know, sometimes a whole family perishes in their sleep because carbon monoxide poisoning snuck up on them in, in the dark. Sin is like that. Listen to Psalm 73 and verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever do that? You look at the world and you think, how in the world do they keep getting away with that? How can they do that grievous sin? And it it looks like they're prospering. They're even profiting. A few verses later in Psalm 73, listen to this. Verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Rest assured, all sin bears a time-release judgment. There is, there is judgment that comes with sin. You may not face eternal separation from your Savior, but your soul will not escape damage. Your spiritual life will not escape damage from sin, and those around you will not escape damage from your sin. And failing to hate sin in your life would be like jumping into shark-infested waters to go for a swim. Hey, let's go for a swim. I wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Not without a big tank, like not like well, those cages. You ever see those guys? They get put. They put themselves in a cage and they get dropped in. The, that's how I want to swim with the sharks. Not, not without that. Remember that all sin has a time release judgment built into it. And now here's number eight. And most of all, this is most important. Remember what your sin did to Jesus at Calvary. Not only was Jesus cruelly tortured, and sometimes we think of that as the worst thing in the world, and yet that's not the worst thing that happened to Jesus. He was cruelly tortured, and yes, he was beaten, and yes, he was hung on the cross to die, and that is absolutely terrible. And it grieves me when I think about it. But 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 24 says this, and this should grieve us even more. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, He Himself bore our sin in His body on the cross. That should grieve us more than the torture even that Jesus faced. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. Praise God. But remember what your sin did to Jesus at Calvary. If you want to take sin seriously in your own life, if you want to learn to hate sin, abhor sin in your own life, as Romans 12, 9 says, abhor what is evil. Remember what your sin did to Jesus on Calvary. Let me just remind you of those eight. Choose mentors who hate sin. Consider what sin has done to others in the past. Review the bondage and the guilt and the pain of your own past sin. Remember the harm your sin will do to others you love. Imagine what 
could happen in the future if you don't deal with sin in your own life. Grieve over what sin is doing to others around you. Remember that all sin has a time-released judgment built into it. And then remember what your sin did to Jesus on Calvary. May our lives glorify God. May we deal seriously with sin in our own lives. Not just getting, getting riled up about the things going on around us, but, but truly abhorring sin in our own lives, in our own hearts, that we might love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Show our love for the Lord Jesus Christ by our obedience because we're dealing with sin and we're taking steps to obey God from His Word.